The Christian journey is like a mountain climb, with Jesus as our mountain guide leading the way. It can be difficult as we are called to follow Jesus and live in accordance with His ways, which may be counter to our natural instincts or cultural norms. The only way to reach the summit is to stay connected to Jesus and follow His guidance. Prayer is our primary way of staying connected to Him, but sometimes we may not know how to pray or even what to say. Just as a novice climber may ask a seasoned guide for help navigating the mountain, Jesus' disciples, who are more familiar with prayer than we are, asked him to teach them how to pray. What we call the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' response, offering us a pattern to follow in our own prayers. But the prayer itself is also powerful and can help us on our journey. Last week, we started our journey of exploration by inspecting the phrase, Our Father. We freshly discovered the immense power and size of God, which we can only understand through Jesus. We were challenged to understand that God is in charge and we are not. Thankfully, Jesus is our good guide up the steep mountain. Today, we continue our ascent. We invite you to join us in praying the Lord's Prayer, both as a congregation and on your own. Whether you are a seasoned climber or new to the journey, we encourage you to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, guide us on this climb and teach us to pray. So here we go. If you didn't receive a teaching handout, which is in the guide that you were given, would you keep your hand up and uh, we'll make sure that somebody brings you a teaching guide. Keep your hand up there if you don't have one and you would like one. Be helpful with some fill in the blanks and some of the graphics that we'll put up here you'll be able to take with you on your way to make sense uh, more and more of this. As we have been doing this morning, there'll be an opportunity for you to contribute to the conversation by sending a text message to the phone number that is up here. We will again show that, uh, that number a little bit later. It's also on the handout, um, but take a picture of the screen if you would like to to make sure you have that number to respond to the prompts that are given to you. Okay. We got the guides coming. I see a hand up over here. Thank you, George. Thank you, Dennis. Appreciate your help there. Okay, let's stand together and we'll read our scripture. Um, you will read the words in yellow. So we have three different screens to go through. And if you're paying close attention, you might recognize some of these words from a song we sang this morning. Revelation 4, 1 through 11. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like, an, like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. 
They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept, keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who still is come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. The word of the Lord. Be, hmm. be seated. <clears throat> Our inquiry into the Lord's Prayer continues. Many commentators over the years have surmised that the theology that is just in the Lord's Prayer is sufficient for our discipleship. It's dense. And I, as I have prepared my teaching for you today, I indeed am struck by the enormity of the Lord's Prayer, what is packed in just these few words. Indeed, Jesus is wise for us to provide such a short and profound prayer. Today, the phrase, who art in heaven, or who is in the heavens. Jesus is our guide, as we're talking about, and he teaches us to pray to God who dwells in heaven. Um, he didn't just say, uh, our Father, give us this day our daily bread, but our Father who art in heaven. Um, he locates where God is. Now, why is this important? Why do we pray to God in heaven? What does heaven have to do with this? And maybe a question, what is heaven anyway? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a good question. Well, your handout shares some things that you can take with you. But the word heaven is one of the ways that the Bible describes what we would call God's space. God's space. Um, and in the beginning, in Genesis, before Adam and Eve sinned, God's space and the space on earth were the same space. God's space is what heaven is is, but humans chose to decide what is good and evil. Um, they were given that choice by God so that they would choose to love him. And therefore, God put a separation between our space and his space. So we see that here. Um, some other words that the, the scriptures use to describe our space, like earth, the world, this present age. And so now there's a separation. Now the scriptures are the account 
the story of God working towards drawing heaven and earth back together. So one way to describe what are the scriptures about, it is about the account of God working with the people of Israel and then the person of Jesus, his son, God himself coming in the flesh to dwell, to bring heaven and earth back together. So in the scriptures, the words heaven and earth are used like juxtapositions against each other. Earth is where we dwell. It is the material reality that is experienced through our five senses. Um, it is our shared experience on earth, <laughs> in this world. Heaven is God's present reality. Let's actually read this together. Heaven is God's present reality that we can't quite see, but every once in a while get a glimpse of. So I want you to do away with the idea that heaven is far off, <laughs> somewhere, even though the language in the scriptures, it's like above. That's a way to help us understand that it is not all that we can see. But I, I want you to think about like if you had like a, a gift to be able to like pull back the curtains and just it's right here. It's God's present reality just beyond what we can see. And then you know. And actually that might be a way to describe what our relationship with Jesus does for us. It gives us the instrument to be able to begin to see part of God's reality. Revelation that we just read is certainly the account of God giving John, one of his disciples, a vision. And he showed him his space. In reference to the book of Revelation, Eugene Peterson writes in his commentary on Revelation, which is called Reverse Thunder, he says, heaven is not what we wait for until the rapture or where we go when we die, but what is barely out of the range of our senses, but brought to our senses by St. John's visions or what we just read in Revelation. It's just beyond our senses. Again, the scriptures are our guide. The scriptures expose to us the secrets of the mountain that we could not otherwise discern. And through the scriptures, God has provided some terrific glimpses into what is beyond our comprehension, beyond what we can see, taste, smell, and touch. The scriptures arrest our attention. They sharpen our senses that are dulled by the world. The scriptures say, now we see dimly. We see as though through a glass that is fogged. Um, but the scriptures help us to like wipe those off and to be able to see, whoa, there's so much more going on. So today I want to make three observations about heaven or God's space as described in the book of John, or the, uh, by John in the book of Revelation. So I'm just going to make some observations and ask for us to whoosh, peel back and see God's space. And then we'll have some discussion, and then we'll tie this together of how this 
interacts with our world. And finally, we'll make a couple of comments about why we need to pray to God who is in his space or heaven. OK, first point. In God, this is fill in the blank. In God's space, God is on the throne. So the hike up the mountain of faith through this prayer is a long and winding path. But at the summit, God sits on the throne surveying his space. We just read that revelation. And instantly, John says, I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Now, in our space that we live in, we tend to think we are in control or able to rule. So in our space, you know, Adam and Eve, they, they chose to be like God and to be able to discern good from evil. And so essentially, they, they got on their own throne and said, OK, I think, I think we know what's going on. So in our space, as we've inherited that point of view, we tend to think that we know what's going on. We are able to control, we're able to rule. But a quick history lesson would show, nope. <laughs> in our space, we develop a systems of rulership to try to keep all of us in check. Does it work? Nope. Time to time. In our space, we play like we are in charge. But in God's space, he is on the throne. He is the king. Our father who art in heaven on the throne, ruling and reigning. Second point, God's space, heaven, is spectacular. Spectacular. Climbing to God's space is like climbing a majestic mountain, and the view from the peak is nothing short of magnificent. This is what the scriptures do. They, they show us what's really going on. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. And the first of those living beings was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. And each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. God's space is spectacular. It is beyond our imagination and our comprehension. God's space is astounding. Now, the created world is also astounding. We'll come back to that. And originally, God's space and our space was not separated. We'll come back to that. When we see it with fresh eyes, the creation, the our space, we, we, we see God's space reflected. And it is amazing. But in God's space, it is astounding beyond our comprehension. The scriptures help us to see it. The final of our three points. In God's space, or heaven, God is worshiped. 
On our journey, the wind whispers hymns of praise as we ascend the path to God's space, a place of reverence and worship. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who still is to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before their throne and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you please. And day after night and after night and after day, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. This is all because of you. All praise and majesty and glory and all honor ascribed to you, God. In God's space, God is appropriately and accurately worshipped. And, and the, the, the scripture in other places gives us these, 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 these ideas that at, at one point, every nation, tribe, and tongue will bend their knee before and join with the chorus of heaven, recognizing that from him, all things exist. All things exist for him. And we are living reflections of that in our best efforts. Our best identity is to live fully and through, uh, uh, through, through, uh, through worship to him, dedicating ourselves to him. But in our space, we're doled to that. In our space, the cares and the troubles of the world, the, the drabs and the darks and the gray tones and the despair and the problems, they tend to take our attention and take us into a place of non-worship and lethargy and apathy and we're doled by it and our addictions and our pain and our trouble doles us to it and we come into the community and we have moments sometimes where that breaks through and we worship and, and even some of us have these moments where like I'm, I'm lifting my hands what is going on what I would say is going on in that moment is there something of God's space that you are entering into and you're beginning to experience the full reality of what you were created to do to worship the true living God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with everything in your being. And then we're like, what happened? You're given a taste of what will be when heaven and earth are united again, but I'm getting to the next part. Okay. I want to hear from you. I've given you a, just a brief overview of maybe what what heaven is, what God's space is like. And I want to hear, we're going to give you three minutes and you're going to answer these questions by texting in. Where is there some conflict for you in this passage or what we're saying? What is, what is the spirit disrupting? Maybe you, maybe you can say, oh gosh, I didn't think that was what heaven was at all, but what about this? You can text your thought with the word conflict before your thought. Where is there some clarity for you in this passage? What is the spirit confirming? Like you're like, oh, wow, yes, okay, I'm seeing more. Text your thought with confirming before 
your thought. Now, I'm not going to share who shared what with me. This is anonymous. But if you still do not want me to share what you write, please start your text with the word private. Like if you share something, you're like, I, I, I want to share this, but I don't want you to read it. Just put the word private before. Okay, you have three minutes to engage with the conversation, and then I'll read a few of these and we'll engage with them. Go. Thank you. Lots of good responses coming in. What I'm going to do is um, read some responses. And just remind, a reminder um, that what different people are saying, like we're going to hear different thoughts and 
Um, we have different opinions or different processes, and it's okay to hear things that you don't agree with. And also, <laughs> I've gotten some interesting feedback recently. When I read something, it doesn't mean that that is the stance of the church or Isaac, even if I don't respond to it. All right, so this isn't me fielding and filtering everything that you say um, so that you all know exactly what New Hope thinks or Isaac thinks. Um, this is conversation, so just hang in there. Okay, so I'll start with some conflict, some great. One, I love this, question, why so many eyes? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, I have no idea except that I could say, you know, look at the creation that we do see, and there's some oddity in the creation we do see, you know, um, like the fly. Why so many eyes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I'd say is like we're, we're seeing a different aspect of how God creates, and it might be striking because we don't see it here, but if we hadn't seen here, and then somebody gave us like a description of the world here, like, ah, uh, they're gross. <laughs> you know, like, I, mean, I won't go into more detail, but, you know. Here's another conflict. How do I lift the veil to see more glimpses of God more fully if our space makes the reality difficult for us to see with our sinful, foggy lenses? So I was like, okay, yeah, like, I want to, but how do I, how do, I do that? Thank you, good Good question. <clears throat> Conflict. Although I think I see the point of it sometimes, it is difficult to accept or reconcile the horrible and various sufferings of people in this world. So maybe as we've talked about God's space in which things are as they should be, okay, why, why is our space not that way? And I mean... Tell me about this other thing, but that doesn't seem to, I mean, there's tension there. That's what I'm hearing with this. There's tension. <clears throat> okay. Hmm. Great question here. Conflict. Christ in us, always with us yet still not always in God's space? Question mark. Also, the word heaven seems like saying God is far, far away, yet he is dwelling within us. So how is he in us, but we are not connecting? That's a great question. We'll come back to some of that. <clears throat> I appreciated this. Conflict, I have a strong problem with the word throne. Those who sit on a throne in the past have been evil and dominant. It's hard to remove that image when talking about God. Conflict, it's a hard, gray, dull world, and it takes a lot of effort to pull back the curtain, and I wish it were not so. It's a hard reality that sin has caused for us. So the Tension there. Yeah. Okay. Conflict. I know I should want to worship God all day long, but there are so many distractions that he 
that he also created? <laughs> will our days in heaven be just worship? Or are there other things that we will do I struggle with? Why does this not excite me? When will excite me? I know I should be. Yeah. Thank you. That's it. <clears throat> hmm. Conflict. Sometimes I get frustrated that an initial choice that resulted in sin and death was made before I existed. Maybe I wouldn't have chosen differently than Adam and Eve, but I wish I had the chance. But then again, is that me trying to control something beyond my grasp? <laughs> That's a great reflection. That is great. Oh. Okay. Um, I'll do what. One more conflict here. Oh, yeah, this is similar to the eyes. Conflict. The beings with eyes all over, like animals with wings. Ew. <laughs> Weird. What? All caps. I don't want to be around them. <laughs> Maybe there'll be a zoo in heaven with thick glass. I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah. I, I, well, yeah, okay. Um, okay, one, one more conflict. I saw another one came through. I understand the concept that, God, that heaven represents God's rule and authority, but scripture also clearly refers to it as a place. Yes. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you see him go. Clearly, we are anticipating his physical return in the clouds. Thoughts on reconciling this with today's thoughts? Hmm. That's good. Um, I think I would, I would simply say that, that uh, the clouds being open might just be that moment of like God's space and our space coming back into oneness and that we are reunited with all that there is. I don't know, perhaps. But I wouldn't say that it's not a place, just like I wouldn't say, like, this isn't a place. It's just beyond our, yeah. Okay, some confirming thoughts. Uh, confirming, God is like a jewel. Lots of different angles, perhaps. Confirming, heaven is not separated from us by some great distance. It's actually sharing space with us that we can only enter by humbling ourselves and putting God on his rightful throne in our lives and engaging <clears throat> in what we were meant to do, to worship him with no thought of what else is going on around us or within us. That's, that's great. That's like the rest of the sermon. That's great. Very good. Um, confirming, this shows me the meaning of Gorgeous and almighty, seeing the Lord's space is like putting all things you define as gorgeous into one place for you to adore. Wow. Confirming, when I was younger, before marriage and kids, I felt like Jesus pulled back that veil a lot more. Turns out, Paul was right about being married man, concerned about his family. It's good for me to care for my wife and kids, but it does make it harder for me to take, make time to be still and view his majesty. Wow. Interesting thought. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. Confirming. You just confirmed with today's preaching that I need to do my part in worshiping and praying to Christ. I do feel his presence when I'm all in. My life's crises have gotten in the way of my connection with Christ because I allow them to overwhelm and me and give up. Thank you for opening my eyes. 
Hmm. Confirming, when you find yourself steeped in the troubles of this world, worship God. This act will bring your situation and troubles into heaven. That's what I do. That's great, great thoughts. Okay. All right, one final. All right, this, oh, sorry, this person also wrote a conflict too that I want to come back to. So when you hear this read, I'm also going to read your conflict. The confirming, first of all. I feel the Lord's presence overwhelm me during worship time. So you feel that, maybe. The conflict, they said, Eugene Peterson in his quote says, we don't go to heaven when we die, so where do we go? <clears throat> that is great. And let me just say in summary that classic Christian Orthodox theology is that when we die, we are held safe by Jesus somewhere until we are resurrected from the dead. It's only in the last couple of hundred years that we have started to believe or think that we go away to home, let go away, and that's our destiny. When the resurrection of the dead is the primary Christian um, <laughs> uh, hope in terms of the next life. That when Jesus comes back, the dead will be raised. So uh, is it the Terminator who had it right? I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, is it epitaphs? Is that the gravestone ins inscription? Is that what it's called? Epitaph? Up until about 200 years ago, the, the words would not be, I've gone home. The words would be, I will rise again. And we, there's, over the last couple hundred years, there's been this, you know, oh, fly away, oh, glory, heretical song. <laughs> We're not going to fly away into nothingness. We will be resurrected. That's what, that's what the hope is. Jesus being the firstborn who rises from the dead, the first taste. We, too, will rise from the dead. Yeah, I mean, that's, I know, I, most of us haven't heard that. Um, but that's only in the last couple hundred years. So we could talk more about that. So where will we go? We will be safe. We will be kept safe with Jesus. There's scriptures that allude to that. Uh, but then we'll be resurrected and we'll rule and reign with Christ as God renews this world. It's, it's good news. Okay. So I want to summarize a couple of things that I think we've heard. Conflict, I heard a lot of conflict around like worship, like the, the dullness of this world. How do we, like if that's what's true, are we really just made to sing songs for, <laughs> for all of eternity? Let me just broaden that, that definition of worship. Uh, uh, worship, every, Paul says, everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. Paul says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your holy and pleasing act of worship. That worship is a part of singing and poetry and engaging that way. But actually, fuller expression of worship would be giving all of ourselves to so our work and our play and our relationships. And so as we worship God forever, I think a full orb sense of what that will be will be living into who God has created us to be and all of our responsibilities and our relationships, reflecting God's goodness, taking dominion, recreating because we're created in his.
his image and likeness. But I think that's a tension some of us has. Like, I want to worship more than I feel. And what I would say, there's always a point where praying and singing and worship are very helpful and important for our Christian discipleship. But do not limit your sense of worship to just that part of your life. Give it all to him. As the one person said, his presence invades our lives when we humbly give him everything. That was one conflict that we heard. Also some conflict around like, okay, where is heaven if it's not, if it's not, you know, is it a place? And we'll get into that a little bit more. Confirming a lot of people recognizing that worship and the presence of the Lord helps them to connect that. They felt that, they've sensed that, that um, encouragement when their eyes are taken off of just the dullness and the grayness of this world. Um, that was confirming for uh, a lot of people. Okay. So I'd like to move into the final part of the message here, and we'll come back to some of the things that you brought up. This is heaven and earth coming together. That is, because of Jesus, heaven and earth are coming together. As I said, God's space is just beyond our senses. But God is really interested in us experiencing that space. One day he will fully reunite heaven and earth. This is what the second coming of Jesus is all about. This is the full arc of scriptures of God fully reuniting heaven and earth. N.T. Wright, write that name down if you're interested in listening to somebody talk about the resurrection of the dead in particular. N.T. Wright, he's also known as Tom Wright. N.T. Wright describes heaven as God's present reality. And although we are often unable to discern God's space, the scriptures are full of examples of heaven and earth intermingling. Now, in the Old Testament, heaven and earth came together in the temple. The temple was built, and God's presence was there, and the, you know, the, the, the high priest had to be clean and pure and go through all this ritual to go into the Holy of Holies and commune with God's presence. It was, this was, God's presence was also a dangerous place where animal sacrifices had to be made for purity, for the forgiveness of sins before the high priest could enter into the temple. So in the Old, Old Testament, the temple was the place in which God's space and our space came together. It was an intersection of God's space, which was clean and pure, and it needed to be purified through sacrifice. So that's the Old Testament. But God was moving, building towards something. And then Jesus came. And when God came in the flesh through Jesus, God's space and our space began to touch even more. This, his death and resurrection, his sacrifice allowed us to be cleansed and forgiven and begin to enter into God's space as forgiven ones. We each become a temple of the Holy Spirit so that we can start to bring God's space to earth, so we can bring heaven to earth. Now let's go back through our truths with this idea in mind that because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, we have become freed to live in God's space now and to become like a, a, a little container of God's space that we are bringing everywhere we go. In God's space, God is on the throne now. 
Heaven is invading your life now. God's space is there now. As God is on the throne of your heart, it is now. Through Jesus, we do not await a future date when we will bow to Christ our King. We are invited to submit now. And in doing so, we bring heaven and earth together again now. We become vessels of his presence now. Our submission to his lordship testifies to all of humanity and to creation that which is ultimately and finally true, that God is on the throne. He is on the throne now. Jesus has bridged that gap between God's space and our space so that we can enter into that. We can live into that reality. If we ever grow dim with that reality, we, we open the scriptures and remind it again that there's so much more going on. And Jesus has paid the penalty so that I can go into the very holy of holies and dwell with God's space. Paul says that I am a temple, that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're to keep this temple purified and clean so that we take God's God's space everywhere we go. Heaven and earth will be finally reunited. But right now, you and I get to bring heaven to earth. Amen. God's space is spectacular now. Through Jesus, we begin to see the created world as a magnificent place that he has created for us. Our eyes become open. We, we scrub off as we read the scriptures and we get a sense of what our identity is. As we abide with Jesus, we're scrubbing off those windows as we ride the bus of our lives through this magnificent landscape. And we begin to see, oh, wow. As the leaves change color and we know that they are changing colors, they die and they go into the ground that God created and the nutrients of the decomposing leaves bring nutrients to the ground that seep down into the soil and as the rain comes and then life comes and then God has provided abundantly and so creatively and as we continue to explore our own world going deeper and deeper into the microscopic levels, every time the scientists get to another level, it's wow. And then every time we look through, what's the new telescope called? The web. Every time we look through that, it's like, wow, have you seen? And for the Christian who is the temple of the Holy Spirit, they say, oh my goodness, look what God has done. It's astounding. And we don't understand it. God's space is spectacular now. And the Christian should be the most enthralled with creation. The Christian perhaps should be concerned about the preservation of creation because this is God's space that he created now. And in God's space, God is worshiped now. Every time we participate in confessing with our tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with our singing, with our clapping, and then with our bodies and with our work and with our vocation and with all of our efforts and our relationships and our obedience. We are participating with the present reality of God's space where he is worshiped and magnified. Oh, Christian, why do you not 
get so riled up and troubled about the troubles of the world. Oh, it's because I'm caught up with the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come, the one who was at the present, at the creation of the world, the one who was, even though Adam and Eve sinned, and I agree with this individual who said, gosh, I didn't choose that, but we have to live in the results. But God was present there, and even in the midst of their sin, he proclaimed that there would be one who would crush the serpent with his heel. At the very beginning, God was, and now God is. The Christian begins to see, oh my goodness, I've been provided for. I've been given grace. I've been given healing. I've been given hope. I, ha- I am a living story. I am a living stone of this thing that God is building because Christian, why am I not upset by all the things that are happening in the world as the things go to kerfuffle? I'm not going to kerfuffle. It's because I'm serving the one who is to come, that Jesus will come back and the crowds will be separated and heaven and earth will be reunited and the joy and the hope and the anticipation that each of us want will be fully realized as Jesus comes to rule and reign and as the dead are resurrected again and all the lost are found in him and every tribe and every tongue and every nation are bowed before him. That is what we are living to, living into. And so when we say, our Father who art in heaven... We are praying to the true God, the living God, the one who was and is and is to come. We are praying to the one who occupies that present reality just beyond our immediate comprehension. One who has given us his Holy Spirit so that we can bring his space to earth. God is already on his secret, covert, odd plan of a carpenter in Nazareth died on a cross who was raised from the dead his secret just clever plan that is foolishness in the eyes of the world he's healing you and me so that we can be bringing about his heaven to earth we're in on it we're invited into it heaven and earth coming together and I tell you what I dare you to come up with a better story. (laughs) I dare you to conjure up a better reality or plan. You cannot. For how can you defeat a king who wins by dying?